Welcome to the Good Life EDU podcast presented by the Nebraska ESU Coordinating Council. I'm your host, Andrew Easton. Thanks for joining us as we discuss the latest in digital learning across Nebraska and around the country. All right, I'd like to welcome everybody back for another episode of the Good Life EDU podcast. And I'm really excited today to have the opportunity to connect with Dr. Martha Bruckner, who is the executive director of MOEC. And if you're not familiar with MOEC, that is the Metropolitan Omaha Education Consortium. Uh, and we're going to learn all about MOEC today over the course of our conversation, um, not only its history, but also some of the present work that has taken place with the different organizations, school districts, education leaders that are invested in that consortium. And I'm just really excited to share out this conversation so that folks know a little bit more about the great things that they're doing in that space. So Dr. Bruckner, welcome to the podcast. Thank you very much, Andrew. Glad to be here. Yeah. And to start things off, uh, we always get a little bit of backstory uh, from our special guests. And so can you tell us a little bit about your history in education and what led to really this role and, and uh, your time in it? Well, thank you for the opportunity to talk about my history in education. It's it's pretty long. I'm not going to put years with it. But in my life, I started as a high school English and speech teacher, loved coaching debate, went on in the same school, Ralston High School, to become assistant principal and principal. I later was invited to apply to become a professor at UNO, and my initial response was I wanted to do that at the end of my career, and they suggested that maybe doing it in the middle of my career would be good. So uh, whether or not it was the middle of my career, I don't know, but I came to UNO as a, an assistant and then associate professor, department chair, um, and then was invited to come back into, quote, the real world of education. Not that the college isn't the real world, but one of my colleagues invited me to apply for a position in Millard as associate superintendent. I was out there for five years, went to Council Bluffs, Iowa as superintendent for a decade. And uh, then I was asked to apply to become the first new leader of MOEC in about 2017 when we went through a, a major change. And I said I'd do that for two years and it's now been six. So that's my background before I got here. Wow, thanks for sharing that. That's something that, I don't know, I, I get a chance to visit with a number of folks through the podcast and through my day-to-day -day rhythms at work. And there's something that I just really appreciate about when folks have actually been in, like you said, in the classroom, an assistant principal, principal, superintendent, at the collegiate level, that's incredible, uh, the wealth of experiences that you're pulling from and being able to, I'm sure, relate and empathize with folks according to their respective roles within our education community here in Nebraska or on the Iowa side, for that matter, it sounds like, too. So. It, you're absolutely right. It's It's been just a wonderful opportunity. And I say very honestly, I have loved every position I've had. I haven't left a position because I saw something better or it just seemed to be kind of an interesting course, and it has given me some perspective from a lot of different lenses. Well, thanks for sharing from that collective perspective today, and I'm sure it serves you well in the role that you're able to play in, in support of MOEC. And so uh, for those that aren't familiar, can you give them a little bit of the backstory on how this consortium started? I sure can. MOEC was a really good idea that came about in about 1988 which was a, initially a collaboration between UNO, College of Education, and five school districts. And those five districts were Bellevue, Millard, Omaha, Ralston, and Westside, all in the Omaha metropolitan area. And they came together to say, 
maybe we could have some networking, we could share good ideas, we could support each other. It was so successful that the next year, they decided to make it a two-state area. So they added Council Bluffs Community Schools in 1989. A couple of years later, because Papillion La Vista was growing, they added Papillion La Vista. And it pretty much stayed with those seven districts until 2007, when the learning community was created. And at that point, all of the school districts in Douglas and Sarpy County were added. So there now are 12 school districts. That changed Moak a little bit because when you added the smaller districts, Bennington, uh, DC West, Springfield, Platteview, that changed some of the conversations at the table. But we realized that educators are educators and we all care about kids. So it was really good for the organization. In about 2016, some people in the community pushed the leaders of Moak, the superintendents, to expand to include some others. So we brought together, and at that point I was a superintendent, so I was at the table, the planning table, and we really tried to move into collective impact organization. We added um, some post-secondaries in addition to UNO. We added Metropolitan Community College and Iowa Western Community College. And along the way, we added two ESUs, ESU 3 and Omaha's own ESU 19. So that's our membership group right now. And it's in the last six years has really been pushed to not just network. I mean, we, we've had groups that met regularly. Our HR directors meet, our student services directors meet, um, our instruction curriculum folks meet on a regular basis. But we were being pushed to set some goals and collect some metrics and really kind of look at what we were doing. And that changed it to what I originally called MOAC 2.0. I don't know that that ever stuck, but that was kind of in my mind, the the recreation of MOAC. That makes me then kind of wonder, I'm a big fan of Simon Sinek's golden circle uh, where there is what you do, there's how you do it, and there's why you do it. And it's when there's clarity around all three of those, that's when things really sort of ring, I guess, is maybe the way I would would speak to that. And so what we we're able to hear through that explanation there was kind of how this group came together uh, and what the actionable steps maybe at the moment are with uh, thinking about how to go beyond networking and into some, you know, actual collective advocacy. Maybe if you could for us establish some of that why as you've come to understand it. Uh, I love collaboration. I love when educators come together to support one another because we're all really here in service to to children, right? That, that's the point. Um, I get choked up even talking about it, but like educator, student, group of students, learning community, like that's where the work's happening, the magic's happening. And so it's great to hear that so many folks are invested in helping one another uh, in the Omaha metro area grow in that space. But yeah, can you kind of speak to the heart behind this collaboration? I'd be glad to. Now, when it started in 1988, I was not really at any of the tables that were meeting at the time. But I think at the time, it was just Omaha was one city, one metropolitan area, but it had a lot of different school districts. And it was better to be talking with each other than to be talking about each other. And I think UNO the College of Education really was the substance for bringing people together and saying, do you want to do this? 
and fortunately, those five school districts jumped on the bandwagon and, and thought it was good. And I think it probably originally started just to try to get us all in the same room together and talking with each other. Along the way, MOEC started several wonderful projects. Um, one of the most lasting is CADRE, which is a program through which first-year teachers are supported by their district as they have their first year of teaching, but they also work on their master's degree with lots and lots of support from the university and from a cadre associate in their school district. Their pay for that year is less than a regular teacher's pay. However, their master's degree ends up being free. So it's a really nice way of supporting new teachers who definitely need the support. So I think along the way, MOEC found those kind of niches where they could make a difference. But when the community group came together in 2016, it was kind of a push to really set some goals together, identify major areas where we need to work, collect data about those, and use the data to guide our work. So I think the why changed from its original in 1988 to a push to, can we be more? Can we do more? And along the way, the collaboration that you mentioned was absolutely the linchpin. I mean, that's that by itself is a good why, but I think we were pushed to go beyond that why. That why, by the way, during the COVID years, MOAC really, the collaboration of those superintendents was really, really important. And if it hadn't started before, it might have been hard to to start it at that point. That's just to uh, maybe tell a little bit of the backstory behind our collaboration even today. I know that Dr. Dan Schnoes uh, connected the two of us because he wanted to highlight the fact that this is a pretty unique consortium and that this isn't something that major metropolitan areas typically have around the country. And And thanks for getting that why, the spirit behind this collaboration, but also uh, how critical that can be, particularly in, we'll say, unconventional times. (laughs) And so during the struggles of 2020 and 2021 with regards to education and the challenges that were posed by some of the COVID restrictions or even just the everything related to, we'll just kind of leave it simple (laughs) and say it like that. Uh, What were some of the ways in which MOAC brought education leaders together that they were able to navigate that time collectively better for it. Interesting you asked that because uh, one week ago, I met with all of the MOAC leaders, post-secondary and, and K-12, and reminded them that exactly three years ago, on a Thursday morning at 7.30, I was very excited because it was the first time I was going to share our collected metrics with the group. And A lot of people had been working a long time to bring those together. And I came to that meeting at 7.30 in the morning on Thursday, second Thursday, March 2020. In my hand was this beautiful, colorful data that I thought these folks were going to be so excited about. And all we could talk about was the fact that that day was probably the last day of school for that school year, because the next day the schools in Nebraska closed. So it's a very vivid memory for me when COVID struck 
because not only were all of these people together in the same room talking about what they were going to do for the next week, not realizing what was coming down the pike, but it was a time that we then didn't get together in person for over a year, actually about a year and a half. However, the superintendents on their own set up weekly Zoom meetings to talk about who's doing what, when, and with whom, and how can we get lunches out to people and all of the issues that we should have been taking notes because we could write a really good diary of it, but we were just trying to respond. But I think a lot of the superintendents pointed out that if we didn't have that runway ahead of us that we had worked on for so long, it wouldn't have been as seamless to bring everybody together on a weekly basis at that point to kind of figuratively hold hands and move forward together. Something that I kind of hear socially sometimes is that when you go through some, we'll say, shared suffering or or shared hardships, that it, it codifies a group of individuals, brings them together. Uh, even stronger than they were before. And thinking through all that had to have transpired over the course of that time through that enhanced collaboration, have you seen that ripple, I guess? Do you feel like the MOEC leaders, having navigated that tough season, uh, have grown all the more collaborative as a result of that? Or well, I don't want to put words in your mouth with it either, though. I would say generally, yes. Um, we are now back, obviously, meeting in person. And it's, it's really pretty delightful is the word that comes to my mind to see these folks in a room together, encouraging each other, commiserating with each other when they have some struggles, uh, sharing ideas very eagerly, being honest uh, with each other. It's, it's kind of heartwarming to see that after we didn't have it in person for so long. But I also have to tell you that just as with many, many other areas in education, our leadership changes and we've changed leaders in many of the districts. If you have 12 school districts, you're probably gonna change one or two superintendents every year. We will by next year have at least half of the superintendents at the table being those that don't remember this history that I'm talking to you about. So while I think we have come together in in some really nice ways, there is that constant ebb and flow of new leaders coming in and having to learn the, the culture and in some cases questioning the culture or questioning what we're doing. So I think that's healthy, but it's it's not just the same 12 people in the boat that were there before. And the addition of the post-secondary and the ESU 3 and 19 has really, I think, enriched our conversation. It has. It's It's good. As an ESU employee, what element has that brought then that you're referencing there, not only from the ESUs, but also uh, looking at some of the post-secondary collaboration as well? Well, let me talk first about ESUs since you mentioned it. Um, the fact that our ESU 3 serves all of our districts except two, that would be Omaha and Council Bluffs, but they also serve, I think, four or five other districts. So there's some crossover, but we have found more and more ways as the years have gone to collaborate. We don't want to be reinventing each other's wheel. If they are doing a good service, they have been open to 
inviting Council Bluffs or Omaha to participate. And if there's additional cost, MOEC is happy to offer to pay that. Usually we don't have to, but there we want to be sure everything's legal. But I think that collaboration is rich. The collaboration with post-secondaries has been really interesting to watch and good. We were told back in 2016-17 that one of the areas that probably we should focus on was math because, I mean, in no uncertain ways, algebra is a gatekeeper in college. And if kids aren't going to be successful in algebra, they may not get through college. So we started some collaboration and our Metropolitan Community College here in Omaha had already started a math project that really grew to become statewide. And I think the the fact that the MOEC schools in the metro area were already in the midst of lots of communication made it easier to nurture this new math project. And along the way, collecting data has been challenging but good for us because in every case, in every year since we started, the post-secondaries, Iowa Western Metropolitan Community College, UNO, have shared data with each other and have pulled it together so we can see. So we can see, for instance, how our MOAC students graduating from MOAC high schools going into those three post-secondaries, UNO, Metro, Iowa Western, how our MOAC students do, for instance, in staying past the first year, in succeeding in math in their first year, in succeeding in language arts in their first year, how our MOEC students do with all the other students that come to those three post-secondaries from everywhere else. And that kind of collaboration and data sharing doesn't happen without a lot of work, but it's very much worth it. So I, I do think the ESUs and our post-secondaries have definitely enriched the collaboration and the conversation. Wow, that's powerful to know that that type of data sharing to drive actionable steps, which is, I think, maybe what we could talk about next, right, (laughs) is to say, what are some of the, because we spoke a little bit before we recorded the podcast, and it was some focus areas that groups kind of came around to to highlight. And so math is one, right? Definitely. Yep. Um, When we first started, we we have about uh, 25 metrics that we set the metrics up before we started the work, but it was apparent. You can't work on 25 different things at once. So we realized that the leaders, that's the superintendents and the post-secondary leaders, they need to determine what the focus areas are. I, I shouldn't determine that. They should tell me what it is they want us to work on. And so, as I mentioned before, math was just like a no-brainer. We have to do better in math. So we have done some really good things in math, actually, in the last five years. The first two years were the best. We brought in a national consultant, and I can still remember being in a large room with representatives from, oh, dozens of high schools, sharing their data, putting it up on the on the board around the room, walking around to each other, talking about it. It was glorious. And then March 2020 came along. And from that point, we had to do a lot of that work virtually. And it it was never quite the same. But for one brief moment, it was magical that we had all of these people coming together 
to acknowledge strengths and needs in the area of math. That was so interesting the first year that there was a push. And we didn't know going into that first year if if anybody would sign up, you know. Uh, in fact, it was very interesting because at the end of the first year of MOAC 2.0, we had to plan what we were going to do for next year related to math. You can't plan it in October. And so I said to the superintendents, if you're going to participate, you need to tell me by May. And there was pushback because they said, we, we can't tell you that. We, ha we have to go back and we have to get ready for the school year. We're going to start the school year. Then we'll ask people to sign up. And I said, no, you can't do that because I need to know. I need First of all, I need to go find some money from funders. And secondly, we need to plan some things. And so we ended up, I think, with 160 people that were signed up by June, which was amazing. And at the middle of that next year, there was so much excitement about it that the schools were really demanding that we do a middle school cohort also. So the second year, which was the year that ended up in COVID, we had a high school cohort and a middle school cohort. And it really was, it was us responding to what the superintendent said they needed. So that was our first focus. They've also asked us to focus on early literacy we have done some good work there, have some modules that teachers can access at MOEX cost if the district decides they want to. We all realized how important FAFSA completion was. And so we thought that was low-hanging fruit. Honest to gosh, we thought, oh, all we have to do is talk about FAFSA and people are going to get on board. Um, we have really pushed FAFSA completion ever since the first year of MOAC 2.0. And again, COVID came along and kind of sabotaged some of those efforts, but we realize how hard it is. But what we also do related to FAFSA is we collect data by high school for all of our high schools, and we share it out with high school principals and with our FAFSA work group and with superintendents on a monthly basis to tell them how well they're doing, how well it compares to the previous year, how well it compares to others. And then we we have given a couple of awards, quote unquote, they're just plaques, but one of the awards is for the highest rate of completion in FAFSA. And another award is the most improved from the previous year. So we're trying to really encourage both the schools that are having an easy time and the schools that are having a hard time. So want to ask here too because i i'm familiar with fafsa and kind of that whole process and everything and we don't need to really do a deep dive on it but prioritizing this is in an effort to maybe just explain that very briefly in case someone's not uh, as familiar great great question uh one of our school districts found a correlation between kids who went to college and completed a FAFSA. If they completed a FAFSA, there was obviously much more chance they would go on to post-secondary. It doesn't have to be a four-year college. So the thinking is, if there's more chance of you continuing your education if you complete the FAFSA, then let's have more kids complete the FAFSA. It seemed like a really easy step. It's not quite as easy as we said it would be, but that's the reasoning behind it. Yeah, and maybe just removing one more barrier, right? Not that yes. you call it a barrier, but it, it can be a barrier to some who aren't able to or intentional with their efforts to make sure that they get that completed. Well, every year in Nebraska, we leave millions of dollars on the table that could be Pell Grants to kids going to college. I mean, that's that's an opportunity that our kids miss because 
somehow or other we have led the horse to water, but we haven't had the horse drink. And mm -hmm. we have to figure out a way to, to make the horse thirstier, I guess. <laughs> well, thanks for the efforts uh, in trying to remove that barrier. And and I know, too, as we had talked about that, gosh, for, for learning and for lifelong success, mental wellness is important also. Uh, and so I know that that's a priority uh, to try to place an emphasis on student mental health. You're right. And that's not something that came up in the conversation in 2016-17. But every summer... I interview all of the MOEC leaders individually and ask them questions about, you know, what's going well, what's not going well, what do we need to focus on? And the year after COVID, superintendent after superintendent after superintendent mentioned mental health and asked us to pull together a group. And so we have pulled together what we call a work group. Um, it has a representative from each of our school districts and from our post-secondaries. And it, we've also along the way added quite a few community leaders. I'm not sure that we as MOAC have impacted mental health, but we've certainly given a reason for people to come together and share what they're doing. Together, we've written a couple of grants trying to get more mental health providers into schools. We're still working on another one of those grants, but it's going to take our whole world some time to, to get back to where we want to be related to mental health. I think emphasizing that and seeking out those grants is so important for progress in that space. And I would be remiss, I think, probably not to bring up the fact that Secretary Cardona visited ESU3 recently, and the focus of that conversation was student mental health and wellness. And they got a chance during that visit to talk a little bit to some of the grant work that ESU3 has been invested in. And uh, I, I point that out here also uh, to let folks know that if you are interested in what's going on in the Omaha metro area with that particular grant, uh, we are going to have an episode coming up where we do a little bit deeper dive on that. It just is a conversation, uh, just like you're talking about. But it's important to just share these stories uh, of what's going on so that hopefully we can think about how to grow those or let that inform the work that folks are able to do in their, their own context. And one more piece, too, that we said we were going to maybe touch upon over the course of today's conversation was school attendance. And so I'll uh, maybe ask for a little guidance on that as well. Yeah. Why did that bubble up? I and mean, we know it's important. We do. Um, attendance may be even, even more difficult to wrestle with than FAFSA. I mean, honestly, we thought if we would tell more kids and more families how important FAFSA was, that they would fill it out. Uh, it's not that easy. Same is true with school attendance. You would think that if we let students know and let families know and let communities know how important school attendance was, that that would just automatically make it happen. And, and it hasn't. I have numerous attempts to really kind of talk about how are we going to do a better job of, of encouraging kids to come to school. We, we, we're getting kind of mixed messages but they're both good messages. One message is we really, really want kids to come to school and we want to encourage them or make it a mandatory for them to come to school because we know how important it is. But on the other hand, we don't want to get kids tied up in the juvenile justice system because of school attendance. So we don't want to go there. So that's a push and a pull that makes it very hard. But what we are trying to do going forward for next year is to very purposefully have the MOAC school districts meet with our county attorney staff from 
both Douglas and Sarpy County to talk about how we can together encourage it. You want to make a rule that kids have to go to school, but then what's the discipline if they don't come to school? I mean, you kick them out of school because they didn't come to school. That makes no sense. So yes, we want to concentrate on school attendance, but I don't have a little piece of paper here in the back of my desk that says, here's what is going to work. We know relationships are what work and a consortium can't make those relationships. They have to happen at, at the school levels. Wow. There's so many important conversations that I can tell are being facilitated through. And and as you said, also, not just conversations, but then bringing those into actionable collective advocacy. And that was the way that we phrased it, like steps uh, that everyone can be invested in together. It's just really powerful. And I'm so grateful that you took some time today to share about all those fronts on which MOEC is really trying to make a difference here in the Omaha metro area. I was about to say Nebraska, but also in Iowa, obviously, as well. Uh, and as we bring the episode to a close, uh, I guess I would just leave a little bit of space uh, to invite you to say what, what has been your personal experience, like maybe loves or like takeaways from being able to be in the role that you're in as the executive director, just a parting reflection, perhaps. It's, it's a really great honor to be in this role. It's also a learning experience because I came to this role from being a superintendent. And as a superintendent, you can really, I mean, you have a school board that you you need to work with very closely, but you can kind of make decisions and guide the group, guide the organization. In this realm, I've moved from being a superintendent to being an employee of superintendents and post-secondary leaders. And that's been humbling as it should be. And it's kind of an interesting tightrope to really want to be out there and say, come on, let's do this, realizing that I can encourage, but I can't decide. So it's been good. And it's, it's, I certainly recognize and respect the hard jobs that our superintendents have and our post-secondary leaders. And I appreciate so much the fact that this MOAC is like one more thing that they have to do but they do it and they do it willingly and they do it with conviction and attention. And that I think leaders helping leaders is really an important aspect. And exemplified in you as their executive director. And so thank you so much for joining us for the podcast today. Well, thank you for the opportunity to kind of share the message about MOEC. I'm glad to do it. 